Welcome to Mental Illness Life. I am Brooke. I got to tell you something, you guys. Um, So sitting in my little makeshift podcast studio in my walk-in closet is actually kind of my happy place. Um, I haven't been in here in a little while uh, because the last episode I had just recorded my therapy session, so I didn't really do a lot of um, studio talking. I also do some voiceover work for audiobooks. You may have heard me actually read a book to you at some time. Um, nothing fancy, but I also come in here for that. And again, it's kind of my happy place, but I haven't been doing that either. I've had some other stuff going on and, you know, life happens. So it's been a couple of weeks since I've talked to you. Um, and I want to tell you this. Um, usually, Usually I have something sort of prepared or something written out and kind of read off of that just to keep it going, like just to keep it circling back to what the point of the podcast, you know, topic is, um, to make sure that it's segmented correctly and, you know, just so that I'm not like, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. But I feel like this one, I just need to freestyle. So I apologize ahead of time. Obviously, I'm going to edit out some of the long pauses and and dead air, but it may not circle back the same way as something that was scripted, mainly because I feel like this is a topic that I I just need to get out there and just kind of word vomit, uh, if you will. So we're going to talk about teenagers, um, specifically how our mental illness is affected by parenting teenagers. I feel like I have a perspective of like what I was like as a teenager. And then I have a 14 year old right now, a 14 year old boy that is kind of acting out. And then I have somebody close to my life who was, um, had a very, very traumatic teenage years. Not, I don't know if it's traumatic or, um, just, he made a lot of poor choices, but didn't really have any guidance at all. Um, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit of a little story for, and I know I've been talking about this over the last few episodes that I want to really tell my story. So when I met my son's dad, he, it, I was living in Chicago. I was 28. It was 2004, early January, 2004. And I met him and I had just lost this contract job that was making me a lot of money And I was just really lost. I just felt lost. I was still kind of under the, you know, I guess, thumb of my mom and my dad. And so I met my son's dad and he then kind of met my life. It was kind of a whirlwind this like over a week. And he said to me, well, so he met my mom. And then a day later or so, he said, come back to Idaho with me. We got to get you out of here. He even called his mom and her and I talked and it was kind of this whirlwind. Like I said, um, it wasn't necessarily to come back to Idaho to be with him. It was more of, even though we were, we had that sexual relationship, it was more of a, I I don't know how to describe it. It was just, I feel like he felt called to get me the hell out of there. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So I packed up two big duffel bags worth of stuff, um, told my dad to come and get the rest of my crap. A lot of that stuff, I don't even know where it is anymore. Um, I had some really nice paintings, but 
anyway, de la vie and got on a plane and I showed up in Boise, Idaho a week after meeting him and was living with his, with his parents. They have, they have this like extra sort of little house on their property. And so I was living in that house and he and I, you know, it only takes one time people only one time of having sex to create a life. And that is what happened and was not, you know, planning that by any means. Um, I will tell you this part of the story that growing up, what we found later in life when I was doing this therapy is that my mom has undiagnosed borderline personality disorder. And that's part of the reason why she could not bond with me. We could not, there was no bond. She wanted really nothing to do with me, kind of uh, irked her to have to even deal with me, so to speak. And so growing up and then getting, you know, a little older and a little older. And then throughout my twenties, I always thought to myself, I don't want to have kids because I'm going to end up like that. And I don't want to bring that kind of sadness into the world. I don't want to have a situation come up where I have a child and can't bond with that child. And then their life is miserable like mine. So when I got pregnant, I actually had, had already moved to my son's dad's grandparents' house and because they had like more space and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, if I was going to move or like what I was going to do. And and he and I, we, we kind of were, you know, split up, I guess. And I didn't know I was pregnant. And I remember for like two and a half months, I was like so sick and all of the, you know, symptoms of being pregnant. And his grandma kept saying, you know, I think you're pregnant. I think you're pregnant. And I was in such denial. Like, there's no way. There's no way. I think I was taking birth control at the time, but it just, you know, like that's never a hundred percent. So finally I went and got a pregnancy test and lo and behold, I was pregnant. And at that point, I think I was three months along. And so it was, it was pretty real. I was having this baby and his dad had already gone to graduate school in California. And so he wasn't, he wasn't around and I was on my own. I had a definite come to Jesus moment when I was sitting there in these people who I had never met before, um, before three months prior, pregnant with someone's child who I really didn't know who was gone. I had no family. I knew no one, no friends. And it was as if a black hole had opened up and was swallowing me. I didn't have a job. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. I picked myself up, went and found a job, didn't tell them I was pregnant. That was awesome. And was able to work until the minute that I went into labor. And I remember people coming up to me. It was, I, I worked for a company called Circuit City. And do you guys remember that place? I think they closed down, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I worked on their like business team, their business like sales team. And I remember being out in the store a couple times, like, you know, helping my business customers and they'd be like, Oh, what happened? You know, where's the father? And I'd be like, what do you mean? What happened? Because remember I live in Idaho. I have moved to Idaho and it is a very different world here. I'm still in culture shock. I've been here 15 years. So I remember that being funny. Like, you know, people wondering, like, how am I doing this all by myself? Well, to be honest, it was a shit show. I 
didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was actually planning on leaving Idaho and somehow getting myself to uh, Mississippi, where my high school best friend lived at the time. And I was just going to live with her with this new baby. That that was my plan. And she was like ready to have me. And I remember um, I literally drove myself to the hospital to have the baby. I had two weeks left and I had super high blood pressure. They were, they were nervous. It was going to turn into hypertension. Um, and so they induced me early and I wanted nothing to do with anybody. I was at this point where I didn't want help from anybody. I didn't want anybody to, you know, take care of me. I, I was so stubborn, just so stubborn. I didn't even let his dad in the hospital when I got home. Oh, and I had to have a C-section. So that was super fun. So that meant I was in the hospital for, you know, longer than normal. And when I got home a few days later, I was served with papers. Granted, remember that I knew no one. I had a couple of friends by then, but I was at his grandparents still. So my son's great grandparents still. And he had filed for joint custody. And it was like a kick in the gut because I had, remember I had plans. I was going to leave. And that spurred a, you know, two year long custody issue. Um, You know, there's no handbook. Like, where's the handbook of having a child, but then the father wants to be, you know, so much in the child's life. And there was times where I thought maybe he's just trying to do this just to win. You know, those people that really don't care about what they're fighting for. They just want to fight or argue. And so we, you know, we finally got that figured out. And over the years, it was, it was contentious. He had a situation where he met somebody and they had other children. And so it's always been a little, you know, a little strained. And then my ex-husband wasn't a great stepdad. So again, we've always had this kind of, it's just been strained. So he has now, he is now married to a very lovely, lovely girl who I've become very close friends with. I would consider her a close friend. And they've been married for three years or so. I might be getting that wrong, but she's a wonderful stepmom to our son. And I just couldn't be happier about the situation. When I talk about my son being a teenager, up until this point, like the last like two weeks, I'm telling you, something has switched. And I mean, it's not puberty because he started puberty when he was 13. Like, I know this is like a long drawn out thing. Okay, so I apologize, first of all, for that little break, but I thought about it a lot, and uh, instead of going back and re-recording that 12 and a half minutes, I am just going to um, add on for a couple of reasons. So right at the moment that that ended, um, before the little sound break last night, um, my son actually came back from his little intervention, which I'm going to tell you about. And so I had to cut it off. I also was not using the correct microphone input. So I'm just a hot mess, really. But I told you that this was going to be real and freestyle and all of that. So I'm just leaving the first 12 and a half minutes as is. And I'm going to pick up uh, where I left off 
and hopefully it's not too jumbled and still circles back to what we're trying to talk about and, you know, get to with all of this. Because I, I do want to say before continuing with, with the story that, you know, the whole idea to this and, and being a single parent, our mental illness is exacerbated by whatever parenting issues you, you you know you're having, whether it be with a toddler or multiple children or any of it. Being a single parent, that's where I'm coming from. And so I think where I left off was that, you know, lately the last few weeks he's been just like being really just an asshole. Like he's just been really continuously um giving me attitude and that kind of stuff. And he goes to his dad's every other week. And they live real, really close. And so he's here for a week and up there for a week. And I should also tell you that about five years ago, his dad moved to a different state. They did see each other, but it was kind of an all of a sudden full time kind of deal where I, he was with me full time. And there were some summers there that, that he spent quite a bit of time up there, but I really was kind of just thrown into this. And you know, no fault of his own. He had his, his other, you know, family issues. And, and so he was gone for quite a few years and then moved back a year ago. And, you know, so there's been some adjustment and my son, you know, had to adjust to that as well because he was with me full time. And I think over the last year, his dad and I have, have kind of gotten more and more on the same page. And that has helped me tremendously. So when my son, you know, gives me attitude and, you know, he struggles at school with homework and, and, you know, all of that and have, having the organizational skills to get through the day, like who doesn't, right? But we, we've tried to give him, you know, as many accommodations as possible. But when it comes down to sitting here, trying to determine what the best step is for your child as somebody with PTSD and bipolar and depression and anxiety when those things seem to take over and as soon as he gives me attitude and and, and starts you know spouting things off of course I retreat into that early trauma and think to myself what am I doing wrong and and the panic just raises you know my adrenaline levels and my you know, blood pressure and everything just kind of heightens. And so it was interesting. I was looking online. Uh, I like to, you guys know that I like to, you know, have a few quotes here and there and, and have, you know, different perspectives from different people, but I could not for the life of me find anything that pertained to single parenting with mental illness and parenting a teenager which I think, I mean, everything in there was about the teenager having mental illness and having mental health problems and all of that, which is totally understandable that that would be the main focus of this stuff. But what happens to the parents that, you know, yesterday, what had happened was, you know, I was asking about asking him about homework or something, and he just got so aggressive and threw the, the paperwork at my face. And it was just such a stunning shock to my system. And I went into my room and, you know, the first thing that I usually would do is just break down and then pick yourself back up and go back out there and figure it out. But you know what? This time 
and because of the last few months of like where his dad and I have have come to um, this kind of agreement and kind of having each other's backs, I actually called him. And this isn't the first time that I've done that. I called him for some like assistance with with a homework issue that our son was having. But I called him and just sobbing. I was just so vulnerable and sobbing. Like he just threw this thing at my face and I told him to go to your house. And for the first time in 15 years, I felt like I finally had somebody that had my back. And you know, that, that to me is such an indicator of, of how much hard work we've put in to, you know, come together. I, we were never married. We didn't have that particular type of relationship. We just had a child together. And I think we both have come to this sort of respect level. I've always had this respect for him because he got me out of Chicago and, and I needed to get out of there. And so, and he, you know, brought me here and gave me this beautiful child, but we'd never had a, a, a romantic or a, you know, marriage relationship. It was simply co-parenting from the start. And even though, you know, for a long time there it was, you know, joint custody and, and then he left and, and all of that, I'm still a single parent. Even though, and he, you know, I was married for a few years, and but I was still a single parent because I was the one responsible during my time for my child. It was not the responsibility of my ex-husband as a stepdad to make any decisions. And really that marriage ended because he was incapable of being a good stepdad. So there's that. But what I want to get to is this, how how I'm able to single parent or parent at all having PTSD because I find myself even yesterday, like instead of just standing my ground and saying like, Nope, this is the way it's going to be. I did go and call his dad and, and that I had a struggle with internally. Like I should just be, you know, pulling myself up by the bootstraps and, you know, just parenting the shit out of this teenager, but I just needed help. And so I kind of had this, this whole, like how to single parent with PTSD because of the trauma as a child, we look at what happens when we're at a, when we're a parent and like something about becoming a parent changes us, right? I suppose it would be like, it would be more accurate to say everything about parenting changes us. Um, I, I really... I love how when I became a mom, it, it forced me to grow up. I mean, it, there was no way around it. I, I, it grows you up quickly. Because I, I don't think I would have ever let myself grow up. You know, some changes I was ready for and others I'd rather not face because it's just scary, you know? Like, or I, I would have rather not face because it was so scary being triggered by all this trauma and trying to figure out like what's just parenting and what's the PTSD and what's this and what's that. And, you know, if, if it weren't for like my relationship with him and how wonderful and how deeply connected we are, I would likely run screaming from the more difficult parts. Um, but ensuring his well-being has honestly given me the desi- the desire to, and motivation to undergo like such a huge change and then like finally deal with my past. That's how I eventually got to doing EMDR and I won't get into that this time, but 
It's wild. So when after a person experiences trauma and develops PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, many times it's because the person didn't have the chance or the skills to healthfully process their experience, which is what I did in EMDR. A person who has PTSD or complex PTSD essentially has a brain that is chronically wired for stress and operates at a constant survival mode. So when, you know, your teenager comes at you with all kinds of crazy, you are, your reaction is going to be a little, a little different than someone who does not suffer from mental illness. And part of that treatment when I went through EMDR and even still with therapy, it involves trying to train my brain out of survival mode. Um, up until I had him, I knew I was just messed up and a roller coaster, a train wreck. If you're going through the same kind of thing, just know that I hear you and you may have a past that's affecting your present, especially when you have a child and you've, you had trauma as a child. You really have to be aware of what's happening with you and definitely go in and talk to someone about it because it's going it's going to be best for your child or your children you if their uh well-being comes first then being you being in a good place mentally and emotionally is paramount so when i said like we have this deep connection my son and i are really really close and you know, it was kind of carefree and kind of amazing. Like he'd always want to hang out with me and he still does. He still does. And he's super cool. My friends will all tell you like he's hilarious and it's not just me that says that. He really is the funniest kid. Um, but these carefree days don't last forever. I know that I'm a good mom and I've been blessed like with such a beautiful boy, but I can really deteriorate mentally and I know that the cause of the deterioration um, is usually due to that dark place inside me that sometimes rears its head, you know? Like, I, I did deal with it, and I do deal with it, but when you're triggered, doesn't matter how many medications you're on or how much therapy you have, you are, you're really, like, in it, especially with parenting because it's so raw. I mean, it's just so raw. Some of you that are listening and, and maybe are struggling with this quite a bit, I bet that you're having a lot of anxiety about your kid's well-being. You could, maybe you're having nightmares, anger, hostility, intense depression. I'm telling you, this is normal. It's normal, but it's not, you don't have to have this. At least go and see somebody to determine what the problem is. And there, you know, there may be therapies for it. There may, may be treatments for it. Um, I remember when he was, I don't know, I think I went through EMDR. He was like five or six. And I remember him being like, mommy, why are you so sad? You know, why are you, and, and why are you so angry all the time? And that's when I went to seek help. And at one point during those years, I, I can't remember exactly is when I was finally properly diagnosed with PTSD, bipolar, uh, anxiety disorder, and my meds were adjusted and readjusted until I felt like I could manage and like actually enjoy my life with my son. So PTSD is, it's heartbreaking. Being a parent with PTSD is 
daunting. It's heartbreaking because your past robs you and your family of the present and, and the happiness in it. One of the hardest parts of this disorder for me to accept is that you never really know what else is going to come up or when. You can't always be aware of what's going to trip your brain's panic switch and you always have to be ready for it so you can be calm and still and rational because we want them to be okay you know I don't want him to see me like that even though he's very open about you know he understands about mental illness and he's dealt with ADD and depression and he even talked to me about it last night after the big you know blowout so I feel like I've got a you know there's a good base to it um You just really have to be kind and patient with yourself and never stop trying. It's seriously necessary that you keep growing until until you outgrow the effects that your past has had on you. And there's treatments for it. This is especially true if we're raising kids who will one day be adults who must survive and thrive on their own, right? It's our adult responsibility to practice and continually get better at improving ourselves for ourselves and the ones we who love us. And if our children see us commit to this, then we have taught them to do the same, to never stop practicing and growing in whatever they face in life, you know? Okay, so since this isn't just about my story, I want to give you practical ideas and tips. I did actually find this page that talks about challenges and solutions for single moms. And I really believe this does apply to single parents, um, both men and women. This particular one's just talking about moms. So challenge number one is having no one to tag in. So like there's no, there's no out. Being on 24 seven means that there's no one to pass the baton to when you're having a bad parenting moment. And this can lead to parent tantruming. (laughs) So the solution to this is not to care so much about the little things. If the kids come in all wet or scribble with the lipstick on the couch, try and train your first reaction to be a laughing sigh or the word hooray, even if it's sarcastic, or some other facial or vocal reaction that is not anger. If you can't do that, then try to say to yourself, I'm stressed out about whatever right now, and it is negatively affecting my ability to parent as a way to distance yourself from the stress. There's another option too that um, if you put your hands up, close close and open them, then close your eyes and take a deep yoga breath in and out, you can reset your mood enough to get out of whatever situation that you're in. When also another thing is when you need a moment, put your kids to sleep. And this is all obviously for like young kids and not teenagers, but I I feel like some of you, you know, are gonna relate to this part of it, some of you can relate to the teenager part. So this one is for younger kids. When you need a moment, go put them to sleep. Um, You know, anytime can be nap time. I remember that. Um, I was by myself and it was like, all right, it's nap time. It's better that you put them to sleep than act out in anger toward them because you need a moment or just sit them in front of the TV and go in your room for a breather. There is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. And so here's one that the challenge is self-doubt. This is what I struggle with all the time. And it's so hard to know if you're doing a good job. When you're in a couple, you have somebody who agrees or disagrees with your methods and can help you see the merit in your positive parenting moments and help you improve where you fall short. But as a single parent, you have to do it all alone. And it's seriously not easy. So a solution that I found what they're saying is, um, and this did help me, um, and it kind of still does 
you know, with teenager stuff with my son's actual friends at school and their parents I'm friends with. Um, so it really helps us to surround yourself with, with other mothers of young kids. Of course, this solution is for young kids um, to see where they fall short and learn from that and be inspired by the things that they do well. And at the end of the day, remind yourself that no one's perfect. You just need to know that you're doing at least something right because your child is happy and thriving. And again, this idea of taking a very deep breath, cry if you have to, and then get up and be the best parent that you know how to be. The um, next challenge is making decisions solo. I definitely have had a lot of stress around this because you you know you have this anxiety and, and get extremely stressed over making all the decisions. So the quick solution to that um, that I really like what they're writing here is that um, just try to remember that nothing is that big of a deal as long as you're supporting and communicate with your children. And that's all. Over time, you'll learn to trust that the things are all going to work and to see the decision making as an honor. So the next challenge is missing your kids when they're with the other parent. This is tough. I deal with this a lot. So loneliness is a constant challenge. And the hardest part has been getting used to being without the kids. You know, the first time that your kid goes to their other parent for like a whole weekend it can feel like the air has been sucked out of the room. So a solution to this has been just to plan out those times. Make sure that you have like plans with your friends. Give yourself a chance to get into. So like, re, you know, reach out to friends and schedule nights out, you know, going to dinner, karaoke, whatever. And that makes sure that you don't give yourself a chance to get into a funk. And then what you can really do is spend that time rediscovering yourself. Go to an art museum. I just had... A friend posts this thing about the art museum in town and like that sounds like such a good idea and he'll be at his dad's this weekend. So I'm going to want to do different things. Dance around the house if you have to. Whatever you want to feel free and liberated. And so I know that it's a lot to, to take in and I feel like being a parent teaches us so much about ourselves. But when you are hindered by mental illness, especially PTSD, where the trauma was as a child, you really need to seek that help. And again, I'm going to continue talking about how for me, it's important to get the message across that you need to take your medication, because how can you do any of these things if you're crippled by physical side effects from anxiety or trauma or bipolar when you can decrease the amount of, you know, time between episodes and decrease the amount of depression and anxiety you have, then you can be there more present for your child. And it's just a big cycle of hard work and benefits and all of it. So thank you for listening. I hope that it wasn't too um, all over the place, but I definitely wanted to sort of freestyle and, and just take you on a, a journey in that story. So find me on Facebook or on Instagram. It's at mentalillness.life and tell me what you think. Leave me a voice note on Anchor if you're listening on Anchor. But just, I really hope that I'm helping at least a few people. And I hope that you take care of yourself and, and each other.